This podcast is not safe for work and will feature movie spoilers. It will feature scenes described of a graphic nature. It will contain language which most listeners may find offensive. Welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. Hi everyone and welcome to the podcast Under the Stairs. This is episode 269. I'm your host Duncan McLeish. Welcome to the show. Up on episode 269 we're continuing our look through the Forgotten Jally box sets by Vinegar Syndrome. This is the second disc in box set number one and we'll be looking at The Killer is one of 13 after the first break with my special guest Dave James Parker. Before we get to that let's catch up where we are under the stairs. So we're adding stuff in this week. This was supposed to be a breezy week. That was the original plan. Nice and breezy as you go. And then, yeah, screeners started coming in. Things started matching up. Deadlines started arriving. So you are getting four planned episodes this week. They all begin right here. And then on Wednesday, you're getting a review of the new Neil Marshall movie, The Reckoning. Then on Thursday, you're getting Movie Club, for Challenge Teapots, February 2021. Some more David Cronenberg action coming your way this time in the 1980s. On Saturday, an announced episode will be finally arriving. I'll be reviewing a brand new title called Sator ahead of its release at the end of the month, but I'll also be sitting down with the director of the movie and uh, getting to getting to know him, getting to know his movie, and hopefully persuading you to spend some pennies and check it out. So that's on Saturday. No Sunday planned episode at all this week because this would be where we would do our 88 Films Italian collection and this 61 is still not available yet. Still not out. So we are holding back on that one and taking a rare Sunday off although the show count is not dropping. So, I mean, first it giveth, then it taketh away. Or first it taketh away, then it giveth. It's probably more apt. Right, uh, on the Teapots Collective, nothing for you this week, so you can take a nice little uh, vacation away from that feed. However, we have just dropped a ton of stuff over there last week. We kicked off a brand new season of Where To Begin With. We are doing in season two found footage and full documentary movies, starting with Paranormal Activity. If you want to become part of that show, i.e. watch the movies, submit reviews, uh, you've got a couple of weeks to do that, so don't sleep on it because we're bringing it forward. And the next show drops mid-Feb, so keep your eyes peeled. We also dropped the end episode of Season 2 of Opera Omnia, the kick-off episode of Opera Omnia Season 3, where we're looking at David Fincher, joined by Bo Ranzel, starting off with Alien 3. And then yesterday, we dropped a brand new Doing the Nasty as well. So tons happening on that feed. So if you are like Duncan, there's no Sunday episode, check out that Teapots Collective feed. Plenty to keep you occupied. Okay, shall we take a short break? The answer to that is yes. We're going to take a short break. You're going to hear promos for shows that I love. You're going to hear the trailer for The Killer is One of 13. When I return, I'll be joined by Dave James Parker to discuss that movie right after this. Hello, this is The Doom Show. Keep on keeping on and keep on trucking, America. 
We don't listen to our feedback because we don't get any. <laughs> the truth hurts. I just alienated the two people that give us constant feedback. Sorry, guys. That's gotta go. <laughs> That's gotta go in there. So on the show, uh, we talk about Giallo movies and slasher movies and cult movies. Sometimes we even talk about Cameron Mitchell and his movies. I am Richard. Who are you? I am Brad, the guy that's not Richard, or Jeffrey, or Simon. That's right. We have four people, and we always talk at once, except to each other. Jeffrey lives up north. Simon lives across the world. Richard lives in Penis, Alabama. Hello, This is the Doom Show is a proud member of the Legion Podcast Network. Check out the other shows on legionpodcast.com. You can check out more Hello, This is the Doom Show at hellodoomshow.podomatic.com or at doommoviethon.com. Check for our Amazon exclusive Hello, This is the Doom Show cookbook. Do you like hot dogs? <laughs> we got them. Do you like mac and cheese? We got it. Do you like cheddar? We have it. Actually, we don't. No, no cheddar. Just Colby. Colby Jack. Hello, this is the Doom Show. We never gave up on you because you never gave up on us. Wow. And welcome back, ladies and gents. So, yeah, we are returning with another Forgotten Jolly. This is disc number two from box set number one. We are doing The Killer is One of Thirteen. Joining me on this series, because he proposed these box sets, and I'll be honest, I'm very happy that we're getting to them, is my good friend Dave Parker. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I also realized I made a screw up because I wanted to do these in um, chronological order. And yep. the first one, I was like, I think it's 1975, and it's this one is 1973. So, um... <laughs> Yeah. yeah we'll and also, the them. title of this movie is a spoiler. Yes. <laughs> I didn't know those guys were going to be the killer. 
You thought it was going to be someone from outside the house. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I like it. I mean, we'll just... What we do is you just pivot it to mid-chronological order then. We're going to go mid to earliest to latest. That's how you do it. Um, and that's how we're going to roll with it. And that sounds good to me. And to be honest, <laughs> like, see, when they say release date, I mean, who's sure? I mean, I'm I mean, sure. I don't know. I didn't see it until this, this fucking last week. So how do I know? Uh, this one here is listed on Vinegar Syndrome uh, with the plot synopsis of A recent widow has invited a group of family and friends to a large and secluded country home. However, what the guests don't know is the reason that they've been assembled is because their host suspects one of them might be her husband's killer and then she's intent on uncovering the identity of the murderer. As the guests begin to suspect each other, revealing long-kept and sinister secrets in the process, an unknown black glove killer begins bumping them off in a variety of nasty ways. A unique Spanish take on Agatha Christie's off-the-dap novel and Jalousos material favourite, and then there were none, exploitation auteur, Javier Agrulli, once again struggling, of Count Dracula's <laughs> great love. Uh, the killer is one of 13, is an uncharacteristically literally in structure but never skips on the requisite bloodshed. Featuring some of Spain's top genre stars including Patty Shepard of Rest in Peace, Jack Taylor of Female Vampire and Paul Nashie in a supporting role, Boy Is He Ever, Vinegar Syndrome brings The Killer Is One Of 13 to Blu-ray, newly restored in 2K from the original negative and available in North America for the first time in any format. I would say the first time in the UK as well, because <laughs> I imported yeah, it in. anywhere besides probably Spain and Italy maybe, I don't know. Yeah, well this very much like the previous movie we are talking about, Boy Is This Movie Spanish. Um, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the Americanized name of Harry Steven. You know, it's it's them trying to be Americanized when they give the guy first. Both his names are first names. Yeah, that's that's how you Americans do it, isn't it? Yeah, of course. It's like it's ridiculous. It's like Dave Roger. That's my name. <laughs> or you reverse them like Woodrow Wilson, and I'm like that. Should that not be Wilson Woodrow? But I don't know. Uh, who knows? Um, like this. <laughs> this one here. Um, I'm going to put my cards at the table, right, at the front here. I had a ton of fun with this movie. This is I enjoyed it. Yeah, it's a bit... Right, once again, it's a bit... Like, you don't get any... You don't get any death, really, until after the 40-minute mark, which was a surprise like to me. Minutes. There you I go. I was like, is this a giallo? And then 55 minutes hit, and I was like, it is a giallo. Yeah. Okay. Once, once they get in, into it, you get a fair few. Um, and right up to the end, they are still killing off people five minutes from the end of this movie and I'm like right we are we are in for this we are like we're getting our money's worth um but this to me is if like growing up I read a lot of Agatha Christie stuff my grandmother was a big fan of uh you know um like crime novels and stuff so I grew up like watching Poirot and Miss Marple on the TV and reading and those she wrote, I assume. Oh God, yes. Jessica Fletcher comes to your town. One of you is dying, if not all. Run if you see that woman. She's like, she is. But she's the, so sweet. She's a grim reaper. She's a grim reaper with a smile. <laughs> and she serves up a great meat pie. <laughs> this movie reminded me um, a lot of like this is going back to bases. This is a classic murder mystery. Who done it? Um, what I love about it is it is chock-a-block with cliche from start to finish and that does my heart good. It follows that, you know, we're all going to go to the big house, you know, we're all going to sit here and we're all going to try and solve this mystery and, like, from the moment we start getting into it, 
you can tell that this is a great ensemble cast. Some are better actors oh, yeah. than other, but but all the char- all the characters are memorable for their quirks. There's overbearing mother and the timid son. There's a brash cigar smoking, you know, businessman. Uh, Best character. Yeah, you've got you've got Jack Taylor who's playing a painter who does not want his pictures sold to the bourgeoisie. You know, he's like. <laughs> clothes not once during the movie because they tell me pack no luggage they pack no luggage the, our, our introduction to him is him sitting in the background throwing stones into a pond smoking a pipe and I was like that yes we have arrived ladies and gentlemen we I are... feel like it was the pool was he throwing stones in the pool or I was it the pond? Was, it, was it a pond or was it a pool because if it's a pool he is a bad man he's an asshole what are you doing man I'm rich, but I'm not that rich. Get these stones out of my fucking pool. Just, just gonna, just gonna throw these in here because I don't have to pick them up. Um, we find out we the the basis of the story very much is that this wealthy woman, uh, her husband, who is by the way an incredible attorney and sportsman, uh, he's a great athlete because yeah, the. <laughs> They do this like whenever they mention that he was a great athlete, they mention attorney. But she's the first one to say, you know, he's a he like to put it about, as we would say in the UK. Um, and so she gets him on the second anniversary of his death to say that she has managed to track down threads between all these people and motives between all these people as to why they may have killed her husband. The reason she thinks her husband was murdered was because there was suspicion around how his plane came down, he'd withdrawn a large sum of money beforehand, and just in general, all these people around here had reason, or reasons, to kill him. That is literally your setup, and I'll tell you right now, that is all I need as a setup, because we get into the good old-fashioned, well, one of us is a killer, and we'll, we'll find out where that goes. There's a lot of toing and froing. There's a lot of kind of smoky stares, like looking at people across the room. <gasps> I can't believe they just said that. I can't believe you've just found out about this. A lot of appalled rich people being horrible to each other. Yes, all of them. Like, at, there's a point in this movie where it's even none of them survive. <laughs> like, I don't yeah, think... Yeah, they do blow the house up. Where's the bomb? <laughs> like, we, we, are not, we are not doing a disservice to the community if none of them get out of here. But Except Jack Taylor, Jack, him and him and the and the waitress can get out of there. Yeah, Jack Taylor is such a for for what he does at the end of this movie, he is such a non-event for most of this movie. And I actually think that's either genius because you don't like that. It shocked me when he appeared at the end of the movie because all the way through the movie, and I blame you for this, Dave. Um, <laughs> He was my, he, right in the beginning, I was like, Jack Taylor's the killer. You texted me before I watched the movie saying Jack Taylor, Jack Taylor might be the killer. And um, uh, as a result, I was I'd like an eagle, eagle-eyed on him all throughout the movie. I like not believing a word of anything he said, not believing the actions of him. Like when he was in one place and someone was dying, I was like that. They're not telling me these are happening at the same time. <laughs> I don't trust you. Yeah. It's so weird because the movie, like a couple weeks ago, I watched Rest in Pieces by Jose Larraz, mm-hmm. and it had Patty Shepard and Jack Taylor both in it, both <laughs> playing evil, like, ghoul things. And I was just like, I don't trust either of them, Fox. And I didn't even register that it was Patty Shepard until afterwards. But Jack Taylor, immediately, you can't forget that guy. Yeah. If you've seen him once, you're like, that's fucking that guy. He's, and like, I, I was just like, it's so weird, 87. And then they were together in this one, like, literally like 14 years previous yeah i mean like there's a there's a great uh jack taylor interview on the i want to say it's the it's one of the pieces 
uh, documentaries that Arrow originally put out. And um, he talks about how he originally moved to Spain to do... It was like some early acting roles and he just stayed. Like, he just... He, he kept getting rehired, so he just stayed there. Um, and the majority of his back catalogue he has never seen. Like, he'd never seen pieces. He, like, he just he just did movies and he never went back to look at them. Um, and I just... <laughs> Like, I mean, like, I guess if you don't really, you just like acting. I don't know. He he's just got a screen presence. He's fun to watch. And he doesn't really give a fuck. Like, he he'll doesn't. do anything. And he'll, tr- he'll do the same performances. As, as he'll try the same amount, no matter yeah. what it is. <laughs> and there's there is a like specifically for this genre at this time. There is a demand for that. Spe- like when you're dealing with Jawa movies, where they're like the the kind of the good old fashioned one of us is the killer sort of things. You need a stable group of unassuming presences around the table or in a mansion or whatever that any of them could be the killer that's and then and, 60% of them have to be balding yeah, yeah well, like how like because I'm obviously I'm not like Paul Nash he's obviously got a hardcore cult following I've maybe seen like two or three of his movies if I'm I, honest I've seen a handful and yeah, I, I knew right when I seen him, I was like, well, definitely when he was making out with the woman, I was like, that's something he would do. And then, like, I heard the cat on your pod, uh, the commentary, and she was like, Paul Nash, he has to definitely have a, a sex scene or a love scene and a fight scene. And definitely they were both in there. <laughs> like, yep, that's of course he's going to have both those right when they happen. And then she confirmed it. I was like, someone smarter than me also thought that. So, yeah. is, he, is he, um, like, because I'm trying to think when his active period of working was, because he, he looks a bit old here. And I was thinking, this is early 70s, so are his movies, you know... When did all them werewolf movies come out? I mean, he was in The People Who Owned the Dark, which was, what, 76, I would say? Yeah, so and after he, did, this he actually looked the same age. I feel like he looked old forever, probably. Ah, uh, right, maybe he was of a certain age when... Yeah, that, that, that way where Vincent Price always looked Vincent Price age for, like, a best part of, yeah. like, 30 years, and then all of a sudden aged, like, a lot in the space of, like, three years. Um, well, Nashy's in a lot of makeup too. Like he's the, in the Mummy's Revenge, and yeah. he's in the what's the crazy one where he's like the devil figure that leads the young. He's uh, not in makeup in that one. Inquisitor, or is it the devil? I can't remember. Devil Incarnate. It's one of those two. Mm. I think it's Devil Incarnate. So, like, I'm more familiar with those movies over his werewolf movies. Yeah. So, uh, but I mean, to me, he always looks the same. I didn't register him any older, any younger at yeah. that time. <laughs> and why do you think your eyes didn't instantly draw to him as a like? The when his name's on the well, I, I suppose it's maybe even in the the synopsis there it says Paul Nashi in a supporting role, just instantly makes me think not a threat. <laughs> yeah, like he's not going to be in it very much. And then when they found out he was like the cab driver, I was like, why is he in here? He, yeah. he just worked with the director a couple times, I think. So because he, he was in the director did that one of the Hunchback, which Hunchback movie, which yeah. I have not got a chance to see. And I think he's in Dracula's Great Love, isn't he? I thought so. Yeah, I'm sure he is. So I mean. It's probably a favor. I don't yeah. know. Well, they, once again, it's that sort of you get that working relationship, and then before you know it, you're, you're doing you're doing several movies. Every movie the guy does yeah. because you're reliable. Yeah, you're reliable. You got a good working relationship. You like how the director works. The director likes how you work, and he there's... likes the muscles. There is there is a thing about that though where you like you see certain actors pop. We were talking. I've just started a, a brand new series of Opera Omnia. Um, I'm, I'm recording it at the at the moment. Uh, the first episode will drop probably about the same week this drops, and we're looking cool. at David Fincher. And um, yeah. big fan of David Fincher. And obviously, you're starting David Fincher. You're starting right back with Alien Three, the movie that he hands up 
doesn't want his name anything to do with it. He had a horrible time it's making it. It's still a decent movie. It's good. I, I mean, that's that's the thing. It's like Fincher like still delivered, you know, a very entertaining installment in that franchise. But it's a third in a series. I mean, yeah, it's, everyone's it, gonna be fucking a masterpiece, right? It's just all the all the shit he had to go through, all the shit he had to eat from the studio at the time that just soured him on it. But he then came back and did seven. So I mean, yep. you know, like. <laughs> Bad experience there, goes away for a couple of years, comes back with a movie that he has more control over, and that's what you get. But what I noticed in that one is the... And I've forgotten his name. Fuck's sake. The guy from... Did you ever watch Mindhunter, the TV show? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so the guy, the guy that plays uh, Bill Trench, the main FBI guy, not the young dude, the older dude. Oh, the big guy from uh, Creepshow too. Yes. Well, he's in <laughs> almost... It seemed like a bit of weird casting for him to be... In Mindhunter, for me, from my perspective, but it's because he's in almost every Fincher movie. Yeah, that's crazy. I didn't register he was in. Is he in Alien Three? I don't even remember him. He is. He's the he's a janitor in Alien Three. So he's like he's in almost every Fincher movie in some role or capacity. So it makes total sense to me now why he's in Mindhunter. Um, Oh yeah, yeah. He's great in Mindhunter. He's fucking brilliant. <laughs> but there's there's that kind of thrill. So there is that thing about certain directors. Well, you know, Dick Miller's a great example. Appeared in oh, yeah, yeah. like you know, tons of Joe Dante stuff, and and you get that. You just get people that you like working with, and any excuse to to, to bring them in. Uh, it's like James Gunn and uh, Michael Rooker. Uh, Michael Rooker, yeah, or his brother, yeah, same guys. And I mean, like even if you look at the big guys like Peck and Paul, yeah. he would use actors for three and four movies, and then they'd get in a fight or something, and they wouldn't be in the movies anymore. <laughs> like it happens every time, you know what I mean? Like <laughs> here's the War Oates period, here's the R.G. Armstrong period, here's yeah. the L.Q. Jones period, and then they're gone. Yeah, after like, you know what I mean? They might pop up again if they repatch the relationship, but it's just the way it is. I. I I like seeing the same actors pop up in all these kind of movies I do as well. and 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 it was crazy again we have another dual performance in here the butler and yes. one of the um the guest i didn't register this right away until cat ellinger popped that it pointed out i knew the butler right away i was like that's that prick doctor from cannibal apocalypse i want to mm-hmm. punch in the face every time i watch it <laughs> and then the the other guest was i love cannibal apocalypse i hate that doctor yes one of those classic video nasty watches that i only watched for the first time doing that podcast and i was like yeah this I, is a riot <laughs> I watched that movie when I was 13 years old in my bedroom um, and uh, eating KFC like a greasy little kid, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> under the VHS title Invasion of the Flesh Hunters. But uh, yeah, anyways, it also has the um, the nurse in Cannibal Apocalypse is one of the guests too. So I was like, that is so weird that this one made in 73 later, they'd be in a Cannibal Apocalypse together in 80, 81, 80, 1980. So again, it's that like connective, you know, yeah, thing. Yeah, like, because I don't think work. agents would be as prevalent at that point. As well, so it's either happy coincidence or there is some sort of, you know, they're represented by the same agency or same yeah. management or like, but then you would think they would appear in a lot more movies together out with those yeah. oddities where people just appear up. I'll tell you what I really like about this movie specifically is, like I say, there's a lot of, there's a lot of set in the scene. There's a lot of secrets revealed and we take a long time to get to the killing but I really enjoyed the deaths in this one. Like, really gleefully enjoyed the... We're going to mix up our kill instruments. Um, we're going to give you lots of different styles of of death. Uh, whether it's... Uh, I think the first death is a knife to the chest. The second death is an axe to the head. Third yep. one is a kind of garrote around the, the throat, I think. Is it? Well, if anyone deserved a garrote around the throat in the movie, it was probably... That yeah, person. She was the MVP um, in terms of uh, 
very important person I want to die hor- like she like her, her son, son went too. Her, her son, son could have went too. Oh god, the two of them, every time they're on screen, I'm like, oh no. Oh, make us stop. Make so gross. Stop. So gross. It, well, it was like really, really uncomfortably gross. Um let's let's talk about cinematography, because like I said before, this is clearly a Spanish movie. You can tell the shift in palette. Um, I, I would say on some level in quality like the Italian movies always have a feel of even if the movie is complete fucking trash it always feels like a bit of money's been spent on the, the filming yeah, where yeah. this one's a bit rougher um, in terms of the palette it definitely has those tones that I would just associate with the Mediterranean those kind of colour palettes and stuff um, yeah. so it doesn't have that and the second thing I, I want your, your kind of take on back to back is the score in this one because it's there and it's cool in bits, but it's not one of those ones where at the end I could feel myself remembering much of it. So what, yeah, what were your views either. on the score and the cinematography? Um, I didn't register any of it, really. Like, none of the shots stuck to me. Mm. Like, and none of the music stuck. At first, I was like, oh, I like this. This is fine. And then, like, come to talk about it, I can't remember a thing about the cinematography or the score. Yeah. I do remember lots of long takes around the table, but I feel like it was a little bit better done than the other, um, than the previous film. Mm-hmm. Oh, the police are blundering in the dark. Yeah, I feel like they had more coverage in this one, just very direct coverage. I feel, but there was a lot of long takes of a lot of arguing and talking, and it has to be a pain in the ass to have thirteen people sitting at a table. <laughs> and do you think they did the thirteen because it's unlucky, or the Last Supper? Which would you suggest? Both? Um, probably. Yeah, either or, neither. No, I, I can't remember off the top of my head how many are in the source material. So the source material might have thirteen. Yeah. If that's the well, case, Agatha Christie. I think it's ten. Well, there you go. They probably put it in purely for the unluckiness of the number 13. Because um, I would have said if it had been in an Agatha Christie novel, it would be due to its unlucky nature or, you know, the, the connotations with luck. Um, here's another thing that kind of struck me about it is we get not a memorable score. Like, I think you're right. There are no standout shots. However, it's very competently put together. You know what I mean? Yeah, in terms of, I wasn't really left questioning much of anything. It does kind of feel like this mystery's been wrapped up. Granted, the reveal of the killer is a bit like, all right. Um, I was expecting maybe something a bit more kind of out there. Or some, and that's just the. the, well, the they years. do the button scene. Like, the button comes back, and I'm like, was that character trying to hide the button? Or what was up with the button? I don't. Yeah. Well, I thought she had it in her hand, right? And then yeah. I thought they filmed it in her hand, but when he dies, he's got a button in his hand. Now, did he rip that off someone else? Because I know Cat Ellinger brings it up in the commentary, yeah. and I listen to she's like, maybe it's a little ambiguous there, but I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on with that button. Yeah, because I'm not aware of him finding the body either or taking the button off. Yeah. And, and also, <laughs> I think he did witness the murder, and he just didn't give a shit. Yeah. Oh, that wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> There's a lot of like, like I said, the first 50 minutes is a lot of dialogue and character development. And the first 20 minutes, I was like, oh, shit, man, I'm really confused at who all these people are and who's married to who and whatnot. And and then it started kind of settling and you started seeing like the difference in the rich people. Even they have like these hierarchy within them and everything like that. Mm -hmm. Like the big fat guy is um, he's the guy. He's like just got his money from business. So he doesn't come from a wealthy family. So he's like looked down upon because he's brash and loud. And so I mean, like. So, like, uh, she keeps talking about how uncultured he's being and rude yeah. um, because he wants to tip the butler. And I'm like, well, actually, if anything, right, granted, that's his job, but still his nature to do that shows that he's on some level generous. 
And, I mean, I like that guy better than most of the people in the movie. Well, yeah, like, <laughs> yeah, like, well, I don't watch it, but like, there's some others like, like, I think guy. I can understand that guy. You know what I mean? Like, if, if I got money, I'd be all that, like, really yeah. stupid guy, too. Like, hey, this is good food. There's a sure, you're, eating the napkin. you're eating the napkin, sir. Well, <laughs> he's like, that, I've had enough. I'm getting out of here. And he stands up and she's like that. You're not going anywhere. Sit down. And he goes, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I did like the guy who hates his wife. Who's oh, like, are you yeah. cheating on me? That guy looked like a crazy person. He looked like every, like an abusive father. Like There's so much the- great casting, and you know, like so much great casting in it as well. Where you're just like, like you like it, the thing of it is like the weirdly, and it was once again what led me to my feelings that maybe you were spot on with your prediction. As uh, the most unassuming person around that table is Jack Taylor. I, I just like said that. Jack Taylor because mm. he's always a creep. Yeah, I'm like, mm, maybe this guy, mm, maybe he is the killer. <laughs> mm. um, so, like, ultimately, it, like I say, it ends in a place where I didn't necessarily, well, I didn't see coming. To be honest, it's actually pieced together better than a lot of Italian giallos, later day Italian giallos when it comes to reveal a killer. And the motive is kind of there. And yeah, there's a reveal of a button, which kind of feels like we're pushing it in, and I, I don't really need that, um, like, at all. But. The the kind of making Jack Taylor the kind of quasi save the day hero, that's what kind of shocked me. Because yeah, yeah. there are no point in this movie at all is he seen as being assertive, you know, like well, he's an outcast. He and is. so is the, the people who save the day are the two outcasts that aren't rich. So they're saying, Yeah, rich people are so stupid or suck so much in this movie they can't even save themselves. That yeah. ends up being the two poorest people that end up saving the day. Yeah. It comes down like a like a sexy Spanish cowboy as well. Wearing that, that, that amazing... The same outfit. <laughs> the same outfit. Not showered in days. He should have thrown himself in that pool. Get some of that chlorine on the armpits. But you know what's real weird to me? Because it's a, it's a very gothic movie, right? Oh, yes. We have Everybody's there for seemingly monetary gains, and mm-hmm. it's a very gothic proper, Like, But at the very end, the killer's motivation is not, not monetary. It's not gothic. No. It's almost in a perverse, almost psychological deal, obsession. He's completely obsessed with her, yeah. So, like she said, (laughs) there's a bit where she says herself, though, where she's like that, you know. uh, I can't remember the exact line, but something along the lines of, um, it's when they're talking about, like, at the the very end, they think they've caught the killer, um, they're going to go to London, but, you know, they're going to struggle going to London because of the bad memories. And then she's basically saying, you know, if, if we're going to London, we should go separately because people will talk about this. What oh, is she? Like, this this beautiful young woman and this way. And I'm like, that. Oh, you love yourself. Like, that's a yeah, she doesn't want to be embarrassed with a butler. And also, there's a theme between both these movies, right? It's the butler. double butler duty. Yeah, yeah, double butler duty. Like, just every time you have a butler in one of these movies, he's not just a butler. He's either a secret agent or he's looking <laughs> snooping around. Don't trust the butler. That's my new... And, and again, comes back to Clue. Don't trust the butler. Well, there is a very... There's, speaking of Clue, that's that was my next point. There's a very Clue element and again, to this, which I kind of love. Again. <laughs> One plus two plus two plus one. Um, so the yeah. So I think when it comes to like we we're, we're kind of this is the second one. We've got one more to do after this. But I'll be honest with you. I put my cards in the table. I had like a, like this to me would pair really well. Although it's kind of not as good as. Uh, but this would pair pair really well with uh, five dolls for an August moon. 
that which, one I haven't watched by Baba yet. Yeah, which kind of feels like it's, realistically it's the same sort of movie. It's like all these people okay. go to this island for a holiday, but one of them's a killer. Um, although there's a like proper Baba sense of humour around it. Like okay. every time someone dies, a body they store the body in a meat locker. <laughs> That's a good and way to get rid of bodies. Like, See Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, like, like keep it these. But then there's a, like a recurring theme of music that plays as they're moving these bodies in, and it starts to happen more frequently towards the end. Um, so it would, it would pair really well for this. I, I mean, this one to me of of the recent Jalo movies that I've seen as first time watches feels the one that's probably most in keeping with the pulpy like Agatha Christie that, that kind of pulpy yeah. novels that they're based on. But it. it I mean, out with the Black Glove Killer, it doesn't really bear much of a resemblance of anything to what we would class as, like, the de facto tick list for Jallos. No kind of tra- childhood trauma. There's no, like, outside... Well, everyone's an outside party in this movie, realistically. Um, you know, we, we do have, the, like I say, the death by the Black Glove Killer. There is no sign of a and b bottle at all in this one, which no. kind of... That's only a million thing, right? Yeah, yeah, there the was not there. Um, there's no like the score. The the score for the movie wasn't particularly memorable, um, and the cinematography wasn't like wow. But at the same time, like I say, the story's handled competently. The actors do a good job at what they're doing. When the death does come in the movie, which takes a while, I liked it. I thought it was. I like that poster, paint red blood, that you get that kind of hammer horror blood yeah, yeah. that they. I love that. Um, and whilst it wasn't the most remarkable end to the movie, it did feel like we've put a bow on this, which, I mean, I'm going to give it props for because there's a lot of these movies. I mean, this movie like is clearly inferior because it doesn't have like photographs that can be read through yeah, the yeah. mind. It doesn't have um, Bob Ross, doppelganger, Bob Ross in a wheelchair. Bob Ross in a wheelchair. But you know, I mean, in all seriousness, I had a ton of fun with this one. Is there any kind of final comments that you have on the killer is one of 13. Mm, well, I feel like giallos and people are like, that's a giallo. That's not a giallo. I feel like there's like four like mixed up like subgenres of the giallo. Oh, yes. You have the weird batshit crazy ones, like all the colors of the dark, mm-hmm. with like gaslighting weird ones, like that also lizard in a woman's skin. You have the very police procedural ones where it's almost falls the cops, like Black Belly the Tarantula. Mm-hmm. And then you have kind of like, I would say the one that became more traditional would be the Dario ones with the psychological problems. But those ones would be like Bird with Crystal Plumage and Deep Red. But I do feel like there is a gothic style giallo, which is, or money. And usually Sergio Martino's are always monetary reasons for they his They tend slag. to go in there, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, and then you have stuff where it has like giallo influence heavily, including slashers and Suspiria and Stage Fright, but I don't call those giallos. Mm-hmm. I would say that when people say they are, I'm like, yes, well, every movie after the giallo craze and had had those tropes in them because yeah, that's, that's just, just a how- part of horror films in general. Now. Yeah. That's just how they do movies at that point. That's, you know, that's yeah, just how they like movies. It's how they score movies. It's how things are designed. I'm way on that one. Um, so I would call this more of a gothic giallo, mm-hmm. but also the ending is more of an Argento, but it's still almost all gothic where you have the rich people and stuff. It, it, I mean, I think rich people, when I think giallos, I think glamour. <laughs> I think rich people being seedy. It's like that classy sleaze, but... yes. This one cuts away from a lot of the nudity too, like almost like it was censored. Like there's a woman about to take her shirt off in the shower or something like that, and then it's like it's like oh, there's gonna be nope, it's nope. gone. 
no I way. thought was really strange. All the bibs were in the previous movie. I don't know if you remember yeah, that. Like, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, how could I forget? I mean, like I told you, that, that law in Italy that if you rip off a woman's shirt before you stab her, it's not technically murder. That, <laughs> that's, that just actually was lifted like last year. <laughs> but seriously, you know what I'm saying? Like, Yeah. Yeah, it, it's strange. that. Um, but then again, we bring up, I, I'm sure Kat Ellinger brought this up, and I hear her bring this up all the time. She's like my favorite one of these people that does yeah, the commentary she, she calls She calls it very down the middle, and I think there's a there's a gift to that. I think sometimes people romanticize a bit too much. Uh, and she also loves loves the movies, which yeah. I appreciate. Yeah, so um, she brings up always that, you know, in, in Spain we had the Franco ruling, so it was a little bit more strict mm-hmm. than a lot of the Italian stuff, so that makes sense. So maybe the nudity was a problem. It could be, yeah. I think I think there's there, I think there's a, a very strong case for that. Um, I like to me, this one feels more a giallo than the previous movie, if I'm being honest, um, because I just recognise a lot. There's a lot in here that just remind me. <laughs> choose my words carefully here. Uh, reminds me of my childhood, growing up watching. <laughs> what? Like, <laughs> watching. Are you Italian? <laughs> Um, yes, Doncano McLeishio. Uh That's my name, um, and I had to change it for legal reasons. Uh, the, the like, there's just a lot of it that that reminds me of the you know the TV the the murder mystery TV shows that I grew up watching and the the, the books that I you know I read Agatha Christie until I got into Stephen King. Um, there, there's just a lot of that that's kind of linked together. So there's something kind of comfort food about this. Um, I'm with you. I think it's surprising that there is a lack of nudity, but when it goes for the kills, it goes for the kills. You know what I mean? Like that that strangle I mean, scene is pretty fucking you know. brutal. So, you know what I mean? Like they, they really go on that. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a kind of mixed bag for me. I'm glad I watched, very much like the previous one, I'm glad that I've watched this one. I don't think I would have ever come across this. Um, no, no. I mean, and, and to bring up, you know, sometimes a good strangulation is better than nudity. Ask the Boston Strangler. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, Albert DeSalvo, he would he would argue that point, right? You would like to fix. <laughs> no, I mean I don't need nudity or anything like that. Yeah. It's just like it's such a trope of these movies that there's this sleaze aspect. You it's, know, it's, it's noticeable when it's not there. You know, what yeah, I mean, yeah. it, it becomes that there's a bit of whiplash where like you didn't get to see boobs there. It is it's so it's so strange because it, it just feels like that's what you do. It's almost instinct when you're watching the movies. Yeah. That's just the 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 reflex action is to see them. So yeah, I mean, I had I, I, I had a bit of a blast with this one if I'm honest. Um, I don't think it's remarkable in any stretch, but at the same time, it did like from that synopsis, it does exactly what that synopsis says. So, you know, as a, a group of people, one of them's a killer and we're going to stay in this household until we find out who is. Oh, and by the way, that killer's going to start picking off people because that's what we do. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, tick, it ticked all the boxes in, in that part. Um, let's talk grades. So we came in, you came in three and a half for The Police Are Blunder in the Dark. I came in three. Where are you coming in for The Killer is One of Thirteen? Same three and a half. It is a little. It is better than the last one, objectively better. But I enjoy them about the same. You know, I mean, this cast is much better than the last one. The acting's much better, and yeah. uh, I mean, I don't like what they did to my boy Paul Nashy though. <laughs> <laughs> but I did it three and a half. Did you? Be honest. Did you giggle when that car went off the the cliff? It would have been better with a dummy death. <laughs> 
<laughs> for that car. The put a dummy death in there. Well, the guy with the guys like that, you know, I listened the 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 nuts on the the, the wheel, and I'm like, hey, you sure you didn't listen the nuts on every part of that car because it starts falling oh, apart shit. as soon as it hits the first bump off that. Car. It would have been better if like the steering wheel fell off and like he gave that like comic like slapstick where he like screamed, <laughs> curled the wheel to the screen, got the wheel, <laughs> mutton chop sideburns, looking like a, a gammon United States president, like Chestrier Arthur or some shit. <laughs> oh, it's so good. Oh man, yeah, I'm 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 coming up to a three point five on this one. Uh, I like this one a little bit more than the previous one, not much more, but I, I did. I think you're right. I think what maybe elevates it for me is the better acting. I actually like the premise of this one a bit more as well because it feels a bit more authentic to yeah. like what I would consider within the genre. But yeah, I, like we are two for two on movies that I have enjoyed. So uh, we'll see if movie number three follows that trend. We'll be coming back to talk about trauma in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, the synopsis is Daniel, a writer seeking seclusion to work on his new book, finds himself stranded in a rural bed and breakfast run by a strange prudish woman and her ailing wheelchair, bringing back the wheelchair, bound husband to remain shut in his room all day. However, as night falls, a psychotic, razor-wielding killer begins stalking the bed and breakfast, brutally slashing the throats of its most sex-crazed guest, I think we'll be getting nudity in this one, uh, whose bodies and luggage then mysteriously disappear the following morning. A satisfyingly trashy, low-budget Spanish giallo, which inadvertently also ranks as one of the country's earliest proto-slashers, Leon Klimovsky, of the Vampire Night Orgy, Trauma, a.k.a. a word that I'm not going to do, uh, is filled with gratuitous sex and nudity, yes, along with bloody killings. Barely released outside of Spain, Vinegar Syndrome presents Trauma on Blu-ray in a brand new 2K restoration, the original camera negative of its longest version ever presented on home video. 87 minutes in length, 1978. Um, so yeah, I'm looking forward to coming back and doing this with you in a couple of weeks' time. You still have a lot of interesting stuff out there. This is where you get to pimp your wares. Eh, you guys don't want to hear it. It's <laughs> Mr. Parka, YouTube. M-R-P-A-R-K, if you want to check it out. Also, 22 Shots and Boots and Horror Podcast, if you want to listen to us on the podcast. I'm there when I can be, but, you know, work sucks, so... I gotta make money, so I'm not there all the time. Um, mm-hmm. This one actually sounds like it's straight up my alley. Oh yeah, they've got me in. <laughs> like, it, it kept getting weirder in the description. It's like add a wheelchair in there, bed yeah. and breakfast, furious. <laughs> I'm like, ooh, must be something about Spanish bed and breakfasts. Bed and breakfasts in the UK are not filled with mostly sex crazed guests. So well, have um, you ever seen uh, um, eating Raúl? Almost everywhere there's sex crazed people. Yeah, everybody's there. They're all at it. Um, <laughs> I'm looking forward to coming back in a couple of weeks' time to doing trauma with you. I'm going to take my final break of this episode. When I come back, I'm closing out the show right after this. You're listening to the podcast Under the Stairs. you've been listening to the podcast under the stairs this has been episode 269 the second movie in the first forgotten jally box set as part of our forgotten jally season now exciting at the time of recording this vinegar syndrome have just launched pre-orders for forgotten jally box set number three so don't sleep on those they do sell out and when they sell out i see lots of people going well i wish i jumped on it they are genuinely 
beautiful packages. The movies themselves, I can't speak to all of them. I'm working my way through them, but they are pretty fucking great on a shelf, if I'm honest. Uh, I've got the two of them within eye distance of my mic here. You can probably hear me turning my head. And yeah, they look blush. So don't sleep on them. That third box set is up for pre-order right now. Uh, of course, Dave Jeff Sparkle will be joining me in a couple of weeks' time and we'll be continuing to look through on the final disc in the first box set, a little movie called Trauma, not to be confused with Dario Argento's Trauma from the early 90s. There is a multitude of ways of checking out this show. Wherever you're listening to us right now, hit subscribe on that app. That way you're subscribed to the feed, you get the shows as and when they drop, and you get access to the entire back catalogue of over 800 recorded episodes. Also subscribe to Teapots Collective, you get Where to Begin With, Chronicle, Opera Omnia and Doing the Nasty all over on that second feed for you and the back catalogues of those shows as well available at your fingertips. The best way to support what I do is subscribe to those feeds. You can visit the website, it's teaputzcast.com our merch page is teaputzcast.bigcartel.com You can jump across and check us out on Facebook if you want facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash teaputzcast and the Teaputz Collective Facebook page is just simply facebook.com forward slash teaputzcast you can reach out and interact with myself and the Baz on the twin prongs of social media. Sexiness, Instagram and Twitter both can be followed at TeaputsCast. The podcast under the stairs will return for you, dear listener, on Wednesday as we kick off a bonus review of the brand new Neil Marshall movie being released on the 5th of February. It is The Reckoning. You'll hear my thoughts on that movie coming up on Wednesday, but until then, wherever you are, whatever the time zone is and whatever you're up to in this big bad world of ours, please take care of yourselves out there. This is Duncan McLeish broadcasting live from under the stairs, and I am signing off. <laughs>